0: everyone welcome to the podcast i'm phoebe holdenson kimira a gp and i work with the black dog institute and the eMental health in practice project developing and delivering educational material for health professionals this podcast is a distillation of some of the important information from webinar 49 loneliness and its impact on the mental health of the older person the guests on the webinar were Amelia Renu, the academic lead of the older person in applied mental health at Hetty Higher Education, New South Wales Health, with a background as a CNC in aged care mental health. Dr Stephen Ginsburg, a GP in Northern Sydney with an interest in mental health and elder health and Hester Duffin, a registered psychologist working in an older person's mental health team in Sydney. In this podcast, the panelists spoke about the impact of loneliness on the mental health of older people discussed some therapeutic supports to utilise with this patient group and we also touched on some e-mental health resources available to support the mental health of older people.
1: So, Amelia, can you tell us who do we mean when we say older people?
2: Sure. So older people are those aged over the age of 65 years um, in the general population and there's also, we also, um, encompassing that group, the physically um, people who have chronic disease or pain that might relate might result in age related changes prior to 65 years as well. So that That is what um, the demographic is that that we're talking about today. However, I do need to um, make mention, of course, which is incredibly important for Aboriginal people, that they are regarded as older at 50 years and over. And we need to think about that um, when um, providing care or um, providing services to Aboriginal peoples.
1: Amelia, tell
2: us. What do, we, what do we mean when we talk about loneliness? Okay, so this is, this is a quote from Mother Teresa. So being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that it is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. So that's the quote. However... People's loneliness may be a perceived loneliness or it may actually be a real loneliness, like that they don't have contact with other people. So whichever way it's looked at and whichever perspective you look at, it still has an impact on the person. They may see themselves as a burden or a lack of sense of um, purpose um, within life. So we need to think about that as well and how we can build that up.
1: So what I'm hearing is that it's a, the subjective experience, the internal Absolutely. experience mm. of, of, of that person's um, social world.
2: Overall in Australia, one in four Australians mm. experience loneliness. Mm. So that's something to consider. And that was pre-COVID. So you mm. can imagine what's happening now where people can't connect with their families physically, um, they might do that online. However, um, there is a real disruption to that. And we know mm-hmm. that, that's a, that that's a connecting with people um, on a meaningful level is a really positive um, aspect and actually reduces loneliness.
1: That's exactly right. So you said that we were going to talk about loneliness and social isolation. I, I think that I often do use those terms interchangeably. Do they mean the same thing?
2: Well, loneliness, um, as you can see, the two quotes here. So loneliness is a subjective unwelcome feeling or of lack or a loss of companionship or emotional attachment with other people. So loneliness is seen as a perceived state. So it's what the person perceives um, their relationships as or their situation as, whereas social isolation is seen as a state of having minimal contact with others. So mm-hmm. it differs from loneliness which is a subjective state, as I've said, of negative feelings about having a lower level of contact than desired. Um, so it is different. However, in some in some definitions, they the two terms are. Uh, Um, So there's social isolation and loneliness comes within social isolation, whereas I actually see them as two separate entities. Mm.
1: We all have experiences of being, you know, lonely from time to time, don't we? But I think what we're talking about here is prolonged or sustained periods of that that subjective experience of loneliness.
2: Absolutely. So long-term
1: loneliness, yeah. That's right. So, Stephen, can you talk to us about...
3: Solitude,
1: is that the same as loneliness?
3: No, solitude is a much more positive state of being. It's a state of being alone, often by choice, Um, a a choice that um, many people savour their solitude. Uh, Solitude uh, can be enjoyed, especially if the person has um, a good serve of self-worth in their psyche. Um, And some describe it as an essential component of health and well-being to be able to enjoy solitude. Mm. Um, It's a spectrum, of course, Mm. um, as so much, but uh, building more solitude into into your life may paradoxically relieve loneliness.
1: Mm, Absolutely. It's interesting. Good food for thought, isn't it?
0: Amelia shared with us some statistics about the proportion of people experiencing social isolation and loneliness by age. Interestingly, the rates of loneliness were highest for 18 to 24 year olds and for those over 75 at around 20% and lowest for 65 to 69 year olds at 13%. The rates of social isolation were fairly similar across the lifespan with about 8% of people greater than 65 experiencing loneliness. This is fascinating because I think many of us think of loneliness as something that more often impacts the older person.
2: They're saying that the figures are the highest within urban areas, um, which you'd think it'd be in rural areas. However, urban areas where we live in where we live in cities—that's where you can get the highest social isolation. Tell me,
1: um, Amelia, what's the connection between loneliness and and mental health problems?
2: Okay, so. Pre-existing, people can have pre-existing depression and then loneliness can... Contribute to that coming um, to that reoccurring in an older age. Um, the person loses their well, but may be, um, have a loss of well being and independence, a reduction in social participation, especially during COVID times, um, or may have had an earlier or maybe experiencing a relationship back, um, breakdown or an empty nest type situation. So, those all contribute to loneliness. Mm. So, some people get a new diagnosis of depression. Um, once um, when they're older if they're experiencing loneliness however you can also get a recurrence of depression in older age if they've experienced depression earlier or anxiety earlier in life mm. we know that loneliness causes um, higher rates of depression anxiety and even suicide mm-hmm. we know that that's a risk that those, both of those conditions could be a risk factor Um, for suicidal um, behavior so we need to watch out for that and think about risks as well if someone is indicating that they are lonely and showing signs of depression or anxiety to actually think um, about suicide Suicide as well and, and just check in with them to make sure that that's not um, something that they've been, they might have been thinking about, or that um, that is is an issue and mm. is is a real problem and is really overwhelming the person by thoughts mm. of suicide. Mm. So there's also low, um, loneliness has also been found to increase the risk of developing dementia by up to twenty percent. So that can be related to increased stress impacts on sleep. Depression is actually a risk factor as well for for developing subtypes or, or dementia. So um, there's needs. Um, so depression, it needs to be treated and also um, holistically. Um, to hope potentially reduce that risk as well.
1: Mm, so what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of overlap, isn't there?
2: It's, Absolutely. It's hard
1: to know what, what came first, but certainly that they're all very intertwined. Yeah. Hester, I'm interested to know what, what have your observations been as a clinician working primarily with older people who have mental health problems um, of these two
3: two things?
4: Yeah, so, um, so working in community mental health, um, a lot of the time... Um, Older people are referred to me by their GPs, by their facilities, aged care facilities, or by their family. Um, by the time I see them, um, they already meet the criteria for um, depression or anxiety. Um, but yeah, sadly, um, I'd say most of them, probably about four out of five people, I would say, um, are experiencing some form of loneliness or another. Um, so, I think it's really key to address um, their loneliness, um, help them improve their subjective, um, their perception of their social connections. Um, But that's not the only thing that is going to um, improve their um, depression and and anxiety. Um, It's interesting because um, in terms of loneliness, we also see people who um uh they're either lonely because they're potentially because they're I- isolated or they're lonely because they they might be socially withdrawing um and we find that when people are withdrawing um they uh, we find a link between people withdrawing and making poorer lifestyle choices you know then not eating and they're not eating well um, they're not exercising. Um, there, there might even be substance abuse, um, and all of those things we know have have links to depression and also to to dementia. Um, loneliness can also um, cause people to, um, because people are withdrawing, they're they're having less um, cognitive stimulation. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so. So that, that is
1: a big factor
4: in, in, in dementia.
1: All right. So that brings us across to our case study, Frank. Frank's a 74-year-old man uh, who you've been seeing for some time. And his wife, Norma, died three years ago from lymphoma. Frank was her carer uh, for all, those, all, all of her illness, but particularly in the last five months of her life. Initially, after she died, he received heaps of visits and calls from their friends and he felt very much cared for, but he certainly noticed in the last few years that that's really dropped off uh, and he barely sees their old friends anymore. He tells you that Norma was always the social one. She was busy with probus commitments and tennis and bridge as she would always be hosting dinner parties on Friday and Saturday nights, having their friends over. And that's something that he always used to really look forward to. He has two children. Uh, He's got a son who's a FIFO worker living in Western Australia. And that son has a few children, but, I mean, they're all living over in WA. And and a daughter who lives in Hong Kong uh, and works in the finance industry. So basically he's not seeing them very much at all. And particularly with COVID, he hasn't seen any of them in the last 18 months. Since Norma died, he's been finding it pretty hard looking after himself. Uh, He's been teaching himself how to cook simple meals and he's learned how to keep the house clean and tidy. But after all of that's done, he feels pretty worn out. He's been staying at home more often and avoiding social outings. He's happy to receive calls or visitors, but is finding it so hard uh, to build up the initiative to leave the house or to call somebody. He tells you Norma was always the social one. He was the organizer and I'm feeling completely lost without her. Hester and Stephen, what, what strikes you about, about Frank? Are
3: you, are you worried about him? we best not to be worried about our, our clients. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: are you concerned?
3: Like I mean, that's right. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think that, that he definitely needs help, um, but we have to offer him the choice of help. And, and uh, uh, I'm presuming that he's, he's come to see us or has come to see the GP, the GP is the great influencer and the first port of call. I say influencer in the in the social media sense. Um, the, we're the first port of call. And so our our first uh, task as a GP is to exclude physical illness. And, and we, we get into that role quite easily because that's what we were trained for. So the, the list of possible causes for his difficulties are as long as One's arm. And medical students have to learn the long list, um, but I would be concerned particularly because uh, the incidence of suicide in our culture is highest in older men. They are the highest; uh, in- they, they have the highest incidence of suicide. So I think we have to be quite proactive while not uh, uh, flooding him with interventions. So we, we we tread carefully,
2: um, mm.
3: and there are many places that one one can uh, get help for him. And, and uh, because doctors PGPs time is constrained, I always like to use a team approach.
1: Mm-hmm. How about you, Hester? What what strikes you from Frank's story?
4: Yeah. So I guess as a psychologist, I would be um, I, I'm interested in finding out whether, um, yeah, whether he's depressed whether there's um, a form of anxiety, maybe social anxiety um, or agoraphobia, um, I'd, I'd like to explore his grief a bit more. Um, is it within the normal boundaries or has it sort of transformed into what we call complicated grief? Um, and what that looks like is um, it's a persistent, um, intense longing for, for his wife um, and intense emotional pain that's, um, and you know she she died three years ago, so he would meet the criteria in terms of time. Um, but yeah, just exploring that a bit more, um, and figuring out figuring out those things would help me to come up with um, yeah with a treatment plan or, or or how I would work together with him.
3: Mm. And I think another um, part of his history would be to try and move the conversation around to perhaps his use of alcohol or other drugs.
1: All right, so we've established that it would be a good idea to talk to Frank about his uh, experience of being um, single, his experience of being socially isolated. But I know that uh, for a lot of us, talking about that with him might be challenging for a whole number of reasons. So Hester, I'm interested to know how, what words would you use? to start that conversation with Stephen. With Frank.
4: Um, yeah, so Sorry, so with,
1: with, with Frank, I apologise.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I think um, I'd I really um, make it a point to validate and empathise and normalise um, his, his situation. You know, um, people who are in this age group experience a lot of loss you know, there's, um, uh, you know, like for Frank, there's loss of loss of a spouse, um, loss of the relationships with his children who are far away. Um, so yeah, just having a natural conversation about that. Um, I might say something like, um, if, if it doesn't come flow naturally, I might say something like, um, Frank, uh, I talk um, often when I talk to people who um, are going through some of the s- similar things that you're going through. Um, they find that they, they feel they struggle with loneliness. Um, is that something that, that you identify with? And I might start the conversation like that.
1: That's beautiful. That's, that's very similar to how we encourage people to talk about suicide, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's one of these uh, sort of topics that have traditionally been considered taboo. Uh, and you think, oh, I don't want to put that thought in somebody's head. Uh, but actually, the research shows that having the conversation is really, really important, yeah. uh, and and normalising it in that way gives them permission to actually tell you that they are experiencing loneliness. Yeah. Stephen, what are your priorities in talking uh, with with Frank here?
3: well one of the one of the challenges for a GP, I suppose, is not to talk, mm. but to listen. I'd be looking for teasing out the conversation to seeing what's what's strong in his life. As well as what's wrong. So mm. there's a lovely expression that a um, social worker taught me, which is ask what's in the larder, as it were, metaphorically. What 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 does he have in his life? What what makes him? Uh, what's been fun in the last few days? Mm. Um, so that one's trying to tease out the idea of what what he has in his life, rather mm. than posing it in the negative, negative. and then. Comes uh, our task to try and see that, persuade him that he may need more help. Mm. And then there's the full range of the people we can refer to. Some of those uh, people we work with in teams, of course, have the ability to do the home visit.
1: Mm.
3: And with the home visit comes, opens the whole Pandora's box of uh, some of the underlying causes Mm. for the Mm. loneliness um Mm -hmm. uh the list is very long uh i would go ahead okay well then obviously psychologists um and other mental health professionals and and the gp can refer those through either medicare uh, which Mm -hmm. has become very generous and offers 20 Mm -hmm. sessions now Mm -hmm. or through the primary health networks have many programs. One of those programs is called the Emotional Wellbeing of Older People Programme. And they do outreach into the community. It started in aged care facilities, but now the government's paying for them to go into Uh, people's homes. Mm. Social workers are absolutely Mm. essential and are so skilled at this. Occupational therapists, physiotherapists. And physiotherapists, I think, are a little bit like taxi drivers or or can be like taxi drivers or hairdressers. While doing their work, it's a great time for people to feel relaxed and start chatting. And sometimes in that time, you, you find out more about the person. Of course, Aboriginal health workers Mm. um, and an underserviced uh, uh, profession, other pharmacists, the community pharmacist can be uh, asked by the GP to undertake a home medicines review. And they are trained in this to be uh, very explorative of the whole person. So they may find medications that the person's taking, over-the-counter or old medications, uh, using up old sleeping tablets that maybe uh, Norma had. Um, uh, And so the reports I get back from community pharmacists are wonderful. They'll talk about uh, the social conditions that underlie some of the
1: problems mm. and i'd like to add one other group to that to that list Good. Um, which is as a gp i rely so heavily on my practice nurse uh, yes. they're my eyes and ears mm. about what's happening with some of my older patients who come in quite frequently uh, and they've really got their finger on the pulse as to what's happening in that that person's life emotionally and socially uh, and and that's really nice because we can work as a team and what i'm hearing you know is from the poll is that a lot of people feel that they are quite time poor, and we know that having these conversations or doing the home visits is quite a time-intensive activity. So really, what we need to do is start having a more um, team-based approach yeah. and and using uh, the resources within our community um, to be able to gather that information, but also provide support. And you know, again, um, just highlighting the role of um, a, a service like Hester's, uh, which is available in every state, the older person's mental health team uh, and they also have a multidisciplinary approach so just thinking outside the box a little bit there rather than feeling overwhelmed and thinking well ha- what what how much can i achieve as a single person well we've established that it is actually quite difficult to do that and i think a lot of these people do benefit from um, yeah, a, a, a more team-based approach. So, but obviously loneliness, as we've established, is not just um, an individual problem, but is also something that uh, is an issue for both for, for our communities and for our society as well. Um, Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about about those, about yeah.
3: that? Yes. Um, well, because society is the foundation of this uh, pyramid, um because our communities and their support for older people can has been crumbling somewhat for, for many decades, um, the public health approach and the governmental approach and the strategic approach is so important. Uh, the UK and Japan have ministers for loneliness. And I think this really highlights how important uh, they feel this is. And, of course, the um, the leverage that a minister and a ministerial department can bring to address uh, the media, the public education, uh, social housing, uh, intergenerational housing, e- even the use of open space. We had 30% more open space parkland. There is evidence that it reduces loneliness by up to 30%. The, if we had more parkland, we would reduce loneliness.
1: Mm,
3: so, mm. Uh, yes, that foundation, and, and that's the foundation of compassionate communities. We build compassionate communities. Uh, we right. we're we're, um, we're halfway there.
1: Mm, that's right. Um, so so that's really good to establish. And I'm interested now to hear from Hester about uh, what are some of those more individual approaches that we can be taking uh, with our older patient
4: yeah Yeah. so um i I mean there are lots of different therapies to use with this these group um this group um i'll just touch on three and um these are all tools that i think people and anybody from any any background can draw some um um have some benefit from Um, so we've got act acceptance commitment therapy Um, one of the things that i like to do is the values exercise so helping so in terms of frank helping him identify what are the things that are important to him what how does he want to live in this world and a person's values are um they're not easily um Altered by external circumstances, like whether he has a job or whether his um, whether Norma is is still alive or not. Um, so um, that's why it's really important to help people identify with those values. Um, so, for example, if Frank has a strong value in contributing um, to the world around him, maybe previously that looked like his job. Um, but what I would do is I would work with Frank and say um what does it look like to contribute um now what does it look like um for you to yeah um contribute to the world around you so setting some little goals with him um in 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 terms of that um he might also be someone who really values love or expressing his love so What does it look like now for Frank to still express his love to his wife? It might be um, writing letters or it might just be talking to her still. um, um, Or what does it look like, Frank, for you to express your love to to your children, to your grandkids, to your neighbours? So, yeah, really helping him flesh that out. Um, I also like to use CBT so um cognitive behavioral therapy challenging those deeply entrenched negative cognitions and themes that people have um really common ones for this um for older people are i'm i'm useless because i don't work anymore or nobody cares about me Um, so yeah really just going down that sort of socratic questioning style of um talking so you know what's the evidence for that frankly is this a fact or is this a feeling is this an assumption maybe do you think you might be wrong or what would you tell a close friend if they were feeling the same way Um, so yeah really working in that sense and the last one i'd like to talk about is reminiscence therapy so reminiscence therapy is um, a really great type of therapy um, that you can use with anybody but particularly with people who have um, dementia or cognitive decline Um, and this type of therapy utilizes all five of their senses um, and it helps people to relive and recall um, past events past places past people Um, so you might use certain objects like a candle or a particular blanket or a pillow or Um, photos um, and it's just giving that person a moment of reconnection um, a moment where they um, can relive certain memories and in that moment they're not feeling lonely Um, and it's a really powerful tool that I use and I'd encourage you all to think about using as well Um, part of reminiscence therapy is also something called a this is your life book Um, And so it's just coming up with um, yeah, exactly what it sounds like, a a book that goes through a person's life. um, And that I've found can be really powerful for people to do as well.
0: Now obviously we want to be doing individual therapy with patients in our rooms, but there are also organisations and activities in the community that can help people like Frank. Hester shared with us the value of organisations such as Men's Shed, Probus, and University of the Third Age as places that can facilitate meaningful connections. Amelia then shared with us the importance of taking a strength-based approach to addressing loneliness in older people. Taking a strength-based approach promotes positive emotions, helping people to override negative feelings and thought patterns, and increase our resilience to loneliness. Rather than focusing on what's lacking, it's important to try and focus on what's important to that person and what are their current strengths.
1: All right, so just going back to Frank now, um, I think we've talked a lot about different strategies that we could employ for Frank, uh, but what I'm hearing both from the panelists but also within the chat box is really just taking the time to talk about the issue and to stop and actually listen to frank's story and and just how powerful that can be as, you know, without any any further therapy necessarily, but just giving that person the time to be heard and, and hearing their life story, perhaps. Um, we could consider a referral to counselling or a psychologist. Uh, Referral to local services as we've discussed, uh, whether that's health services or community services. If he's got a concurrent uh, anxiety or depression, then we could consider starting a low-dose antidepressant. I know a lot of these people tend to have uh, sleep problems as well, Um, so we need to try and address that. Um, We want to suggest that he comes back in, say, two weeks or a month to see how we're going. We really don't want to let this just slide and hope that things get better, because if things don't improve, then there's a good chance that Frank will develop uh, a depression or anxiety. And of course, considering offering online mental health resources as well. There's a few other resources that are helpful. Um, I'll just quickly talk through those. There's a fantastic resource from the Australian government called Be Connected. That's for all Australians, but particularly helpful for older Australians. And that's lots of courses teaching people how to use uh, electronic devices in particular, so using their smartphones or their computers to be able to access things. And for a lot of older people, that can really open up a whole world uh, of connection. Uh, And so not overlooking that and thinking that, oh, they're too old or whatever, but just taking the time to ask and then to refer to this. Uh, Social social prescribing has a real part to play. Uh, And if you're interested, there's some great RACGP uh, resources as well as uh, a webinar that we've run on Black Dog Um, previously that you can watch uh, or listen to the podcast of. And then the National Aging Research Institute has a lot of fantastic resources as well. I do wanna talk now about some online mental health resources. Uh, There's some really amazing offerings that are tailored specifically to the needs of older people. First up, we've got MindSpot wellbeing plus course. This is for people over the age of 60 who've got uh, depression or anxiety. Uh, It needs to, it's five sessions that are completed over the space of eight weeks. And what's great about it is there is the option to have uh, a a phone call from a clinician uh, that's linked to each course, uh, and so that can be a good support perhaps for older people. We've also got Black Dog Institute's My Compass uh, for seniors, and this is also a CBT-based program uh, that's tailored for older people and has a lot of really fantastic resources around self-care. eCouch from the Australian National University has a specific loss and bereavement program uh, that's that's got a number of modules that goes through uh, the normal uh, process of grieving, uh, healthy ways of coping, uh, normalising the experience and also uh, some structured CBT. There are some other resources that I thought might be particularly helpful for your patients. Uh, We've got new access uh, phone mental health support from uh, Beyond Blue. If you feel that some of your patients just aren't up to using um, a a resource on the computer or a phone. And this is a phone counseling service, I believe for five sessions. Um, Yeah, that that might be helpful. We've also got this way up out of St. Vincent's Hospital that's got fantastic online CBT resources. And in particular, they've got uh, one on chronic pain and managing insomnia. Um, This is very structured and has also feedback to the referring clinician. I also want to talk about Hello Sunday Morning uh, and the Daybreak app. This is supporting people who want to change their relationship with alcohol. And, you know, perhaps we might find out that Frank isn't happy with how much he's drinking and that that's actually part of the problem. And Mm -hmm. so referring him to this resource could be really helpful. We've also got Head to Health, which is an online portal uh, for e-mental health resources and Wellmob, which is a specific resource for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people.
0: I hope you've enjoyed learning about loneliness and its impact on the mental health of the older person. It really is everybody's business and responsibility, that of our society, communities, and of us as individual clinicians. And I hope that this podcast has provided you with some ideas and resources as how to better support older people in our communities. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, bye.